Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 240 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's your music companion's perfect 10.0. That's what Craig Fitzpatrick said when he put together our most recent blurb. Craig, do you stand by that wild allegation? Uh, yeah, 100%. I stand behind all of my wild allegations, to be quite frank with you, David. Uh, I'm in good form. I'm trying to be in good form. I'm recapturing my Zen Craig positivity for... Lockdown 2.0, the bloodening. Um, also, the fade is real yeah. over in Castle Knockway, uh, by the looks of things. Just you got in there before midnight and had your fresh cut, looking snappy. I did, yeah, I did, yeah. I, I, I braved town and I got like I got my haircut two weeks ago, and then I was like, "Better get it done again." <laughs> and it's like my housemates were like, "What?" And I was like, I, "It has the feeling of a of a fresh fade, like it's important. I'm, like I've got a slight bit of growth here on the sides." And it back, also so kind of time to, yeah, it also to- kind of marks the moment, right? It's like that milestone thing of like, then I got a haircut and we went back into lockdown. Whereas over here in Leaks Up, um, yeah, pretty much, yeah, I'm keeping it real. I'm uh, still, I guess, floppy but kind of dishevelled. I'm going for essentially Hugh Grant cruising for prostitutes. That's that's the lockdown look for me. Just in terms of hair. Okay. That's very 
<laughs> disturbingly specific. But um, remember last week on the show, you did like your kind of yell of pain in order yeah. to mark the, the the general kind of mood. I feel like I should do one in return. Oh yes, so yeah, I would I love to hear that. Go ahead. I'll just lean back okay, from my laptop. I'm gonna lean back from the mic, so it's not. So, yes, yeah, so like. Oh God! Okay, right. Let's do it. Let's do the show, shall we? Let's just do the show this week. We're gonna. We're all good. My 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 Zoom has frozen. Craig is now like an image of frozen solid fright after my incredible attempt there at you know some kind of cathartic release. Are you okay, Craig? Before you proceed, I thought you had, my computer totally froze. Right. And I was convinced it was because you were yelling so powerfully that everything just broke up. So you haven't done it yet. Did you just come back trying to like G yourself up for it? Oh, it's done. It's recorded. Oh. It happened. Just because you didn't hear it. Oh, you're, you'll hear it. Man. I, yeah, I swear, it I swear like... to God, my entire screen froze just as you <laughs> clearly were doing it. So pretty powerful, I guess. Could that have interfered with the electronics? It's like some Twin Peaks stuff. I don't know. Well, You'll just have to wait. You'll have to wait. All right, listen, on this episode, okay, uh, we're going to review the new album from Annie, Norwegian singer-songwriter, pop star sensation, her first new record in 11 years. It's called Dark Hearts. We will be doing a top five, as always, and this week it is best and worst TV theme tunes. Craig is on best. I'm on worst, which I guess is fitting, as always. We'll get into all the nitty-gritty on those later on. Uh, a couple new episodes dropped this week. It's a busy week for the show. On Monday, we put out a brand new No Popcorn, in which myself and David Higgins discuss the exhausting and extravagant two-hour music video that was Evita from 1996. That's out now for all you film fans out there. I know there's many of uh, Also, I should, <laughs> I should note... Um, we dropped the latest in our track-by-track track series, like our album breakdown track-by-track track episodes that we've been doing over the last month or so. This one was with Paddy Hanna about his new album, The Hill, that is out now. And uh, I guess that leads me naturally into Clarification Corner, just for a second. Dave's Clarification Corner. Just to note on the Paddy Hanna episode, um, I took a perhaps needless swipe at Irish indie label Popical Island, in which I said that their roster included acts that boasted about not mixing or mastering their records. Now, what I did there, right, was I presented... I present an impression and opinion as fact while muddling at least one interview by at least one of those bands in which they express some distaste towards certain production methods. The takeaway being that their approach, a decidedly rough and ready one, was better for them in creating a more unpolished result in line with the kind of music that they were presenting to the world. And fair play, that was their prerogative, whether a jerk like me liked it or not. As such, I happily and formally apologise to anyone who worked on those records whose time and effort I called into question and to any acts who felt like I put incorrect sentiment to their collective mouth. I should have chosen my words more carefully. I regret the error and I have removed the offending article from the episode. Now, we can all move on with our lives insofar as we can all sit still for six weeks or however long this fresh lockdown hell lasts. And hey, listen, perhaps it's fitting that I address a conflict of my own creation on an episode in which we will welcome Josh McClory, formerly of The Stripes, on for a chat about his blossoming solo career and indeed his time in The Stripes, which I did say mean things about. And oh boy, Craig, it's all come back to haunt me, hasn't it? kind of has but you know everything i think gets hopefully resolved in the end and you know what it's all just music right we're we're all just music lovers we have our different opinions but i think we're all in this together particularly (laughs) i was gonna say now more than ever i'm gonna stick with now more than ever it's an advertising cliche that works and i'm building a career on that 
I'm glad to hear it. Listen, as 50% of this show, Craig, I probably owe you an apology as well. And Sonic Architect, Adam. You know, I, like, I, I, I lost the run of myself, I suppose. So you Yeah, know. maybe I'll say something Step on, on this episode that I'll have to apologise for next week and we'll just level the playing field there. See how it goes. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. As noted, busy week for the show. We also dropped a couple of playlists over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to help to support the show. I have ordered a brand new microphone, which is en route now, I believe, from the wonderful country of Germany. So looking forward to that arriving in a couple of days' time or who knows how long and looking forward to getting going with that one. And again, it wouldn't be possible without our patrons. Thank you so, 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 so much. Uh, Like, it's been great to have people supporting the show. And if you like what we do, you're more than welcome to give us a shout over at patreon.com slash no encore. Fans of Popical Island also welcome. Craig, any news this week? Um, we both had a bit of a, a, a troll, copious ganders at the news and thought, let's not get too involved. So I've some headlines for you, Dave, and very little else. So I guess welcome to like no context, I guess. See how these treat you, right? So football legend Pele teams up with Rodrigo y Gabriel on new track. Intrigued, Dave? I am pretty intrigued, but I'd like to hear more about it. Has Adam, can do perhaps, that. perchance, put together some audio for us? Acredita no velho Pode falar, me ser filho Que o velho tem força Vai seu time ganhar O dinheiro é pro santo Pode pagar, me ser filho Soccer legend Pele there, of course. Glad yeah. that he's finally crossed over into the music world. The track is called, in English, Listen to the Old Man. Uh, it's kind of a playful little thing. It's not terribly bad. I mean, his voice is still in fine fettle because obviously he hasn't had a you know decades-long singing career. He's kind of, the performance is a bit clod-footed, not what you'd expect from Pele given his on-the-field action. I did see a couple of quotes from him where he said, you know, he doesn't want people to get carried away with this new career. He said, in football, my talent was a gift from God. <laughs> Music was just for fun. Uh, and he says, don't confuse uh, Pele the composer with Pele the footballer. That would be a huge injustice, <laughs> which is probably fair. <laughs> Dave, uh, I've not... Best of all time, do you think? Sorry, real quick. Oh. Do you think it's best football of all time? Because it's been sold that way on this track. It's like, oh, what a team up. Yeah. I mean, he won three World Cups, right? So he always has that. He always bangs on about how he scored over a thousand goals. Uh, I'm not too sure myself. I think Maradona... Like, I never saw any of these in the flesh, so... But Pele apparently is a lovely guy because my aunt used to hang out with him. Have we discussed that previously? I don't think we have. Now, we've discussed about one of your aunts uh, seeing a ghost, but I don't think we've Oh, yeah, that's my this. godmother. She got a she got a late-night call from Pele um, because her sister was hanging out with him at the time. And she was... My godmother that saw the ghost used to play for Ireland. She had loads of caps. Um, she's mad into football, sports at Liverpool, unfortunately. But listen, she's great otherwise. And uh, of course, adores Pele. And she was at home in Leakslup, uh, probably about 10 years ago. It's about 2am. The phone rings. She like wakes up. She's like, what's going on? She picks up the phone and she hears like, hello, is this Geraldine? She's like, yeah, who's this? 
And the voice said, this is Pele. And it was Pele Wish, <laughs> her sister, just like hanging out in Brazil somewhere. And uh, he was very cool. He's very nice, apparently. Lovely bloke. And yeah, that's that. Do you want another headline, Dave? This is very Dave-centric. Yeah, go on. Okay. Hit me. Lincoln Park's Mike Shinoda says metal felt too white before new metal. Now, as a major advocate for new metal and champion, I feel like this is kind of recontextualizing new metal slightly but mike shinoda who has uh, japanese heritage is saying that yeah before new metal metal felt very white and off-putting and new metal was actually great for the world would you agree uh, i mean i'm, I'm thinking of like the vast, yeah it's a bit of a stretch i mean like the vast majority of new metal records in my cd collection back in drada are mostly white lads. I mean, it's not to say that there weren't any metal bands of different persuasion, but like I, I or new metal bands specifically rather. But I would struggle to think. I mean, obviously Jada Pinkett Smith's Wicked Wisdom, you know, the top of the class there in terms of a new metal band when, when you're talking about the quality. Um, but ultimately, I don't know. I, I mean, like. <sighs> I don't think he's necessarily like, I mean, sadly, I, I don't think he's fully correct on that one, but it's, I guess it's nice for him to kind of put, maybe put Linkin Park up there as some kind of standard bearer at the same time, even though he was obviously yeah. always second fiddle to the late Chester Bennington. Um, I guess, you know, has been doing a lot of press lately because of course, hybrid theory just turned 20 and there's a lot of, yeah. kind of celebratory stuff around that. Again, like I said before on the show, it is nice to see kind of outlets who would previously been quite sniffy about that album being like, oh, wait, it's actually really good. You said on last week's show that you might go and listen to it. Did you? I bet you didn't. Yeah, no, I stuck it on when I was working. Um, I had actually two plays through it and it holds up. I mean, it's a great collection of pop songs more than anything. That's not like damning it with faint praise. They're just really good melodies. Like it all came rushing back to me when I was whatever, 12 listening to it. And yet it holds up. There's some kind of um record scratching and wiki wiki stuff that's a bit dated but the songs themselves are still very strong so yeah i i enjoyed it dave do you want a final headline yes i do okay this is just something kind of sweetly dystopian thanks to the bbc it's it's a bit of an article it's a bit of a deep dive it's about the bts fans investing in their favorite k-pop band and so this is like a long-form article about um Ray, a former teacher and stay-at-home mother, who is one of many fans who's taking a financial stake in BTS. Uh, so the group's agency has gone public and she's just getting one share and it's less about making an investment than a sense of belonging and feeling closer to the band. And Ray says, definitely I'm not selling once I get one. This is for eternity. I want to show my heart by having that one stock. Is that sweet or very grim? <laughs> I guess it's a reflection of modern capitalistic times, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it's one way of showing your appreciation. BTS are one of those acts I just, I literally can't keep up with because yeah, yeah, they seem to I. release like like a different version of the same album every year, four times a year or something. And every time I do try and tune into them, I find myself being like, yeah, there's some really good stuff here, but it's genuinely quite overwhelming. So, but they I do agree. inspire I- devotion. They really do. Like, I, I remember saying previously, we should we should do an entire uh, episode devoted to K-pop. And you're like, I don't think we'd cover it in an episode. So fair. Maybe we need an off offshoot podcast. Um, so maybe we'll leave that parked for a little while and get on we with the rest of the show. In fairness, because it is quite a... 100%. Quite a yeah, yeah. genre. We need a guide. We need a guru. <laughs> well, uh, instead of that, though, what we'll do is because, you know, it really has been a sparse news week. But luckily, we did have the chance to catch up with a young man by the name of Josh McClory. Craig, why don't you tell the world who this guy is, just in case anyone doesn't know yet? Uh, so Josh McClory is a Cavan artist. Um, he came to fame, I guess, with uh, the Stripes 
um, probably a decade ago at this point, which is slightly terrifying. Um, teenage proposition, um, playing kind of really exciting rock and roll shows. He was their guitarist, but also their chief songwriter. And yeah, had a lot of counter- encounters with the Stripes over the years, did uh, a number of kind of cover features with them. Um, I saw a great bunch of lads. Um, and he was the one that I felt was most likely to expand his musical horizons, I guess. And he's doing just that now in a solo capacity. And Dave, you've had um, a history too with The Stripes, slightly different to my own. Um, when they broke up a couple of years ago, you wrote something of a infamous obituary for them, right? That's correct. Yeah. It all started actually way before that, though, because I think their their debut album came out in 2013 when I was still working for Hot Press as well. And, yeah. you know, stifled as I was uh, in, in Hot Press, not really allowed to get my opinions out there. I started writing for Drowned in Sound and I reviewed that album and I gave it a fairly harsh kicking because I didn't really agree with the whole let's put some young, you know, fucking teenagers or whatever um, in suits and like have them play the music of the 60s. I just thought it was very gimmicky um, and ultimately I didn't really vibe with it. Um and then, yeah, over the years, they would just pop up here and there. You know, they were at, like, Electric Picnic. I remember, like, on my 30th birthday, I remember, like, we were in Sweeney's or something, and they were just randomly playing upstairs, and everyone was like, the Stripes are upstairs. And I was like, I'm celebrating my 30th birthday down here just <laughs> fine. Thank you, everybody. It's no problem. Um, but, yeah, you kind of, you know, interviewed them a few times and, like, had a nice, you know, angel-on-the-shoulder situation with them, whereas me over here, even when I did that review for Drowning Sound, like, I remember, like, infamously... Uh, one of their mothers called me out in the comments and criticized my taste in music and that kind of thing. And I was like, wow, that's very rock and roll. And it became like a thing. And I remember then, yeah. So as the years wore on, when they finally broke up, they broke up a couple of years ago. And I happened to be working like a new shift in Joe that day. And I wrote a quick story about it. And I put out like one tweet of my own, just saying like, I mentioning the, I was like, you know, I will always have that moment when one of their mothers give out to me. And like, you know, some people liked it and whatever. And then all of a sudden... Two of my editors were like, oh my God, that's great. You got to write about it. You got to write about your experiences. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I do. But then I ended up doing it. And they twisted my arm and I wrote a very scathing obituary, which, you know, as we will discuss in this interview, because we do talk about the whole thing. Um, I was taking aim as much at the industry as I was at the act themselves, you know. Yeah. Um, however, I got into a lot of trouble about it from a lot of people who did not see my side of uh, things, I suppose, my criticism. Uh, you could argue, you know, like, you know, you could say maybe I went a bit too far. I mean, like, as evidenced by my intro to this show, sometimes I do that. So ultimately, you know, these things happen. But like, essentially, the important thing is that over the summer, uh, Josh would reemerge into my life in quite spectacular fashion, which I will I will wait for you to hear on the interview if you don't know the story just yet, because it was actually a pleasure to catch up with Josh finally and have a proper conversation. Yeah. His new single, which is out now, it's his second single, it's called Crazy, and we'll take a quick listen to it, and then we'll have a chat with the man himself. Giving up all my tricks in the rush Man, I thought I was made of stronger stuff Anyways, it feels like you've already called my bluff long ago That's Crazy by Josh McClory, formerly, of course, of The Stripes. We'll talk about all that, but for now, welcome to the show, man, at last. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be on. Hey, give a Amazing. bit of a round of applause, <laughs> yeah, even though okay. we're struggling through Zoom, as nope. is the case, so often the case these days. 
Thank you. Uh, I hope every listener is, is applauding along as well. Uh, first off, real quick, how is lockdown treating you? How are you holding up? How's your sanity, would you say? Uh, it's as, yeah, it's as good as it, as it ever has been, which I don't know how, how good that is. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been fine. I've been very lucky. Uh, I've been with my family for most of it. Um, and my little brother's been with me. So I've been, yeah, weirdly good. I, I kind of, there's a weird Catholic guilt to saying you're having an okay time with this. But um, yeah, I've been making loads of music and I've just been spending time with my family, which has been kind of a thing that I didn't think we'd ever have again, like in that situation where we'd all be in the same house again. So once we got through the first three weeks of killing each other, it's been really pleasant. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, okay, I think we should just get the elephant out of the room straight away, shall we? Uh, yes, okay, so uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, I wrote a, some would say, uncharitable eulogy for the Stripes shortly after the announcement of their breakup in a piece two years ago that took as much aim at the industry as it did the band itself. I did single out Josh McClory here as someone who I felt had potential, and I said I wanted him to make quote-unquote real music. Now, it was a spiky way to sign off following other spiky words that were peppered about the place, but I did mean it sincerely nonetheless uh, i do appreciate the the article upset a lot of people josh if you want to call me a prick you are well within your rights to do <laughs> go so for it josh you have <laughs> get him no 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 i mean look for, from my perspective like when the band broke up i it's sort of that classic thing of like i i can talk shit about the band and i can t- um, i talk shit about the lads but as soon as somebody asked does i get i get quite like defensive and i think at that point i was very defensive so uh, it's all good i had to be honest with you i most of that article i actually quite like uh, so i don't really i don't really mind but uh it's um i think it's just like you know at that at that time and like i think now looking back and having a bit of distance from the stripes and from from breaking up like it feels like I mean, it's like breaking up with somebody. Like, it feels like the biggest thing in the world and all the little things that happen in the build-up to it feel like the biggest thing. And now it just feels like, oh, yeah, we probably just weren't right for each other and we just need to do other things and the way you can fondly look back on a, on a past relationship. So I think at that point, it was very much like... I think it might have been the week after we broke up. <laughs> and I was just a bit like, who is this guy? Uh, but it's all love. It's all good. And, and I appreciate the honesty because I appreciate the fact that, like one thing I would say about you know, whilst I, I'm, I'm so grateful for like Irish media is sometimes like I find it like it's nearly too nice about about artists and like it, it, it you know everybody needs to kind of get reviews and get you know things said that you know they don't that don't line up with their own egotistical view of themselves so it's uh, it's all welcome that's nice. Yeah, I was going to ask. You said you, most of that article you were okay with. Uh, will we yeah. get into the bits that? No, I joke. Um, I do. I do. However, want to take credit for Dave's final point, where he's saying, you know, everything aside, I wish uh, Josh in particular well, because I get a sense he's an adventurous ear, and I'm curious to see where that takes him. I'm claiming myself as Josh McCory's scout. I believe, Dave, it was me that told you that he had a bright future. Right? Is that fair? That's fair. You did because you have interviewed the stripes a couple yes, of times, yeah. two or three times, I think, during the hot press run. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, like on some of my more uh, ostentatious rambles, you might say, <laughs> Craig was like, "This Josh guy's got something about him. He's into hip hop, Dave." And I was like, "Oh, hip hop music." That sounds so quaint, doesn't it? That's very twenty twenty fifteen. <laughs> 
I will say just real quick, we're not going to like this isn't going to be a complete ego fest for me. I'm not gonna, like I will say that in the article, I you know I I stand by the majority of it. I don't think yeah. I got all of it necessarily correct. I will also say that like. It's not like I sat there. I want you to know this. It's not like I sat there and I was like rubbing my hands together and uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to take him down. I was fucking assigned the article. And yes, I am throwing out the just following orders defense here. That's not a great one. But I will suggest <laughs> yeah. that like, I was kind of like, uh, lads, I don't know. And they were like, you got to write about it. And I was like, fine. And then it became like a, it became like an interesting piece. And I, even the guy who uh, tasked me to write about it was like, oh, well, this is too harsh. And I'm like, he fucking asked me to do it. Yeah, and then it was like, yeah, okay, yeah. fine. But ultimately I will say that, yeah, there's definitely some stuff in there that like, I could look at now and be like, well, maybe that was a bit much. But I think that it is, it's easier for me to say, you know, it wasn't my life. It was your life. And by all accounts, it was a fucking crazy situation. I mean, Craig yeah. interviewed you during the run. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like for anyone who doesn't know, obviously you were very, very young when this all started out. Yeah. I mean, was it a case of, of, of too much too soon or are these halcyon days that you'll never regret? I mean, like, uh, how do you look back on it? No regrets. A uh, few regrets, but no, none major. Uh, what, just one thing I would like to say is the actually, actually the only things I had an issue with in that article was one probably because I'm terrible at taking compliments was just the thing about being excited about my stuff so, and that's more on me. But the, the only thing that I actually genuinely disliked was that you said we did a cover on Letterman when we didn't, and I wrote that song. Um, so that oh, was wow, the, okay. the only issue. Okay, oh. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 culpa. Yeah, the rest no, no, culpa. <laughs> I apologize. I, this is me. Like this is this is the Dave apology episode. I okay. got it wrong. People get things wrong, and I and, and I apologise for that. Well, that misinformation. well can I, I can apologize. I say something in Dave's defence? I did feel like most of that article was kind of about the industry, and actually a lot of the points Josh you were making about you know everyone trying to you know give Irish music the best shake it can possibly get, which is a great stance to take. Yeah. But I, I feel like Dave's issue with the Stripes was never like them as a band. It was you know he could have gone to a show, a show and been like yeah great live act. It was the conversation around it. It was maybe some of the following yeah. where it's like this is real music. You know it's guitar stuff which is you know with what you're doing now and the stuff you're into it's clearly that's a different conversation of like what is quote unquote real music and how narrow that can be. Yeah. I mean I think like and like you said Deb like it, in terms of like my experience with it and, and I mean I do I think we were thrust into it too early? No, because I'm in the place that I'm in now and, and I know everything I know now. Uh, if it was, if I was looking at this from an outside perspective, I would say yes. Um, and I would say that the approach that everybody in the industry took to us very early on um, was this kind of weird, um, there was like a weird, um, what's the word, like conflict between sort of pushing something as this thing of like, you know, real music, quote unquote, uh, just because it has guitars and we didn't record to a fucking click track. Um, but then also pushing it in a major label record way and trying to make it like this massive worldwide thing when that's not what it was uh, ever. Like it was never going to, you know, we were never going to compete on Radio 1 with, you know, artists like that. It was always quite a niche thing. I mean, I think the thing that was probably you know spectacular was just the fact that the gigs were so good for a group of guys that age and i think if you if we were to come out now as a band people would probably look at us like greta van fleet or something like that where you're like these guys are sick players but they haven't written any tunes and so like for me i think that the industry approached the stripes as a product in the complete wrong way and it would have that we would have benefited or at least the image of the band would have benefited a lot more had it have been an underground thing. But 
you know, when you're 15 years old and you're getting all this shit from your face, you're kind of like, well, let's just... What are you going to do? Yeah. I don't have to go into school today. Stripes one was being interviewed by Craig, especially when, like, you know, you guys wore suits. He was always seen in a suit. I feel like <laughs> a match made in heaven, you know. I, to be fair, to be fair, uh, I, I've had some, I, I've had some really good conversations with you, Craig, and 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 like, uh, like particularly with not to not to because uh, I just said our Irish press are, are overly uh, generous to me, but I find myself being quite generous to Irish press but like anytime I've done anything with hot press it's always been great because everyone's very very informed uh, like something I struggle with as a musician a lot of the time is like talking to uh, people who are ill-informed about you know the, the, the topic that we're you know we're having a conversation about which is generally the, the music or or you know what I'm up to or whatever so to yeah, I've always had a good time, um, and yeah, and look, man, the suits are cool. Um, I've, I've got a couple of suits still in in the press. I'll get them out at some point. Well, I will say there's a weird um, butterfly effect thing going on because the first time I um, interviewed you guys, it was Electric Picnic. I think it was 2012, and I believe it should have been Dave. <laughs> Dave, you were scheduled to do that interview. No way. It was yeah, it was like the final. It was the final yeah, day yeah. of the festival. We were watching United, <laughs> I believe there was. It was, a, it was like Van Persie had just arrived at United. It was mid-game. Dave was knackered. And I was like, I'll do this interview for you. Who is it? No, 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 no. You're slightly misremembering. Okay. What happened was, that game, by the way, did occur on the weekend. That was um, that was on the Sunday. And it was the Van Persie hat-trick come yes, back against yes, Southampton. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when we got back to your when we got back to your gaff the night, we watched it like three in the morning. I think it was on the Saturday. And if I recall correctly, it wasn't that I was like, oh no, I've written mean things about the strikes. Oh no, it wasn't. Yeah, you just, up. yeah. It was more me being like, oh, Explosions in the Sky are playing at the exact same time, and I can't miss them, Craig. Please, will you do this? And in doing so, yeah, you're right. The butterfly effect thing is true. Uh, Listen, uh, the last thing, and I mean the last thing I want to say about this Joe.ie article is that I got two weeks, Josh, of solid hate mail. I'm talking like (laughs) DMs, Twitter ads, my email. I've One guy in particular e- emailed me, right? And his name was uh, Michael Higgins. And I was like, is it the president? And it wasn't, <laughs> thank God. But it was some guy who was like, Dave, he was like, I work in film. The Stripes have make incredible music and they've been doing so for a while. And basically, I think he signed off by saying something like, you know, they've achieved more in their life than you ever will. And oh. it was like, wow. I really pissed people off. Like, really pissed people off with that article. So it goes far and wide. Now, to be fair, Josh did get his own back quite spectacularly this summer. I've said it on the podcast a while ago but like you know I, I was made redundant this summer I put up a tweet about it we didn't even follow each other on Twitter at the time so someone must have pointed this out to you next thing you know Josh swoops in on Twitter for all the public to see and throws my own words back to me about my own current situation quite 
brilliantly. And I was in my room. I'm in the room I'm in now. My jaw distended like a fucking snake. And I sent it, screenshotted it, sent it to loads of people, including all the contacts in the world, because it was one of the greatest drive-bys I've ever been a victim to. So you waited long enough and you got it. You know, you did it well. So congratulations. All I can say is well done. Well, I'm glad we're the other side of it. And I'm glad we're friends now. It's uh, That's kind of, Beautiful. I've always found that like sort of once you get, direct contact with with the person it's 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 never the same but i'm i i genuinely do hope uh, that the employment comes and uh, i've no doubt that it will as i've no doubt you do have an adventure here. you know that i'm crazy Released in quick succession now as a solo over the past month or so. Everything was easy and now crazy, which we heard there coming into the interview. Uh, both of which are a world removed from your previous sound. I mean, there's traces of bedroom pop here, some hip hop, of course. Uh, I hear the likes of Frank Ocean and Zane. I'm sure there are others too. What brought you in this particular direction? Um, I think the main thing was, I guess, like from, from about 17 onwards. Uh, the, the music I was making versus the music I was listening to was at, a, at odds and um, what I'd be playing with my friends or, or you know at parties or whatever what wasn't really reflective of the music I was making with the band and so fr- from kind of like really really about 17 I, I'd started writing other stuff and didn't really have the confidence to want to put anything out because the, the band was everything at that point but also in terms of like singing and stuff like that I wasn't very confident and I'm very sure of myself so um, I'd been kind of crafting that sort of stuff for a couple of years and I think about a year before we broke up I kind of we knew we were going to break up so I'd sort of made plans to just make a project and and then these first these two singles so everything was using crazy was actually the first one of all the tracks that I'd written um, excuse me um that I'd written for the project, um, and then everything was easy. Came a couple of a couple of weeks later, but but the thing was just to try and make something that like I that I would listen to at one a.m. or I you know I would actually put on or be not that I wasn't proud of the other stuff, but it was very much like one thing, and it, and it didn't really make me feel like um, I was moving anything forward musically, especially in the things I was saying because. I think one because I wasn't singing, but two because maybe the content, the content of like the lyrics, wasn't really reflective of my life because it wasn't reflective of the singer's life. Whereas these tunes are way more reflective of like my actual life and the things that I do and the relationships I'm in and and the conflicts I have. And so the sort of biggest conscious thing with this project is to, without being every bloody artist that ever is just to like make something that's reflective of me as a person and reflective of the situations that I'm actually in. Um, so that's how it started, really. Yeah, you mentioned um, Crazy There was the first thing you wrote. And ultimately, like, when you get that written down, is it a case of, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm committing to this. I'm, I'm willing to see where this takes me. And, and, like, I just needed that one song to kick it off? or Yeah, I, I kind of... I, I took, like, five days out when we were... Um, when we were sort of gigging, um, or just after the end of the tour, I took five days out where I didn't um, 
didn't see anybody really I just spent five days in my shed and uh, I wrote like four or five tracks and Crazy was one of them and then the single that's actually coming after Crazy uh, it's called Puffing Clovers there's the there's the the big reveal um, uh, but it was the same day and so I would kind of like four or five in, in those couple of days and um, then I kind of knew more about what I wanted to do um, so yeah it was kind of I think Crazy was the first time I'd made a track and sung on the track and actually liked it like it liked the performance and kind of felt like I was singing in my own voice because um, like I said like writing beforehand I was writing for somebody else so I wasn't really thinking about my voice and how it would sound um, so yeah so just getting that like getting comfortable in, in that with that new instrument and, and sort of getting the things that are in my head to come out in the way that I want them to be like said and the delivery it kind of took a little bit of time but um but yeah so it was it, it was it was the very first one crazy yeah I was thinking you know obviously because you've come from the stripes the initial kind of statement as a solo artist it's probably a slightly more difficult job than if you were just coming out fresh because people have a kind of perception of where you're coming from and I was going to ask if it felt like you had to pour over and really lock in what, how you were going to present yourself, but it sounds like you just kind of let the voice lead, really, and just find what was comfortable. Yeah, um, I definitely went through a period of overthinking yeah. what people would think about, you know, this type of music that I'm making now, um, and that was very much to my detriment. So I kind of nipped that in the bud early on because I sort of... I guess people have had an opinion on me for years now and you know not a not a huge amount of people but certain people have had an opinion on me very specific like people <laughs> no no but but hanging like, back guys but but you know like be it people in the media or be it just people who listen to the music like they're gonna have an opinion so I knew people were gonna have an opinion on whatever it was that I brought out so that kind of just reverted me back around the square one of just like well what do I want to listen to and you know what makes me what makes me happy as, as a musician and so it kind of that definitely simplified a lot of it and then that's why I went for everything was easy first because it's very bare bones there's, there's not a whole pile of production on it and I did it all in my shed and you know uh, it's sort of yeah the, the, the more simple I've made it in my own head the better the results have been so I'm just trying to keep that you know in my head the whole time what is um if I can ask like what is your kind of relationship with the industry now because and listen I may have had the wrong perception of the stripes and you know yeah. getting what I perceive to be something of a golden ticket or whatever I'm sure listen I mean like I will say this I I would never doubt the work ethic you know you guys obviously grafted yeah. whether I liked what you did or not but ultimately now you know, you're essentially starting out, as you say, it's all very DIY. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Craig does make a very kind of cogent point there. I think it is very interesting that like, I don't think you can just turn up at a fucking boardroom one day and be like, I'm doing this. Yeah. But like, what is the approach? What is the kind of that relationship? And what is, I guess, the future of this project in that regard? Yeah, um, I think in, in terms of my relationship towards it now versus maybe two years ago, it's, it's a lot healthier. Um, I definitely went through... Uh, you know, 35-year-old 30, jaded man uh, kind of period of hating the industry, but at the age of 21. So uh, I hated it for a couple of years. I hated everybody in it, and I kind of got very cynical about it, um, which I suppose is, is just another sort of step on the path to figuring out, you know, a healthy relationship. But it was quite detrimental, and, you know, at the end of the day, the industry exists for a reason. It exists to 
you know get I mean it, it exists or at least the majors and stuff like that exist to make things worldwide and massive and, and so I, I have an appreciation for labels and an appreciation for that side of it now but I I'm not trying to get into bed with any of it anymore um, in the sense of I'm happy to work with people and, and, and you know use people for their services just like I'm being used for my services when it comes to an industry thing but I want to do this project as kind of as DIY as possible I kind of want the control um, that was the actually to be honest that was the biggest thing having control over everything mm. like it, not having control in a major like record label um, is quite uh, I felt quite trapped in, in like from a creative point of view in like trying to make decisions and then obviously when you're in a band you've got three other people that also have their own thing that they want to make decisions with so now my relationship with the industry is like I'm going to use you as much as I need to use you like you're using me and that's all cool and I'm fine with that but wherever I don't need to use like I don't really want to fuck with a label at all like uh, if I can help it I'd love to not have a label um, and, and just build it up myself because um, and like you said Craig like it is different for me coming into this because I ha I've had a career before but other than people having a uh, uh, kind of a notion about what they think I'm going to sound like which I think is a, probably a negative um, everything else has actually been quite positive because I'm running into the same people again and I've built up like a great group of friends in, particularly in London and um, a good sort of group of musicians around so it's kind of just yeah it's definitely it's definitely helped a lot but um, I think I think a more balanced view of the industry now but I'm not in love with it but I don't hate it either <laughs> I think that's a very interesting perspective, especially because, I mean, like, look, you were thrown into the industry very early. You mentioned even, like, swapping out school for concerts around the world and that kind of stuff, which, in one respect, is the fucking dream. But in another respect, I guess, brings an awful lot of pressure. Um, I know it's like, you know, I think it's good that it's become a cliche to, to mention mental health because that means we're talking about it and we should be talking about it all the time. Yeah. I've written about it extensively. We all have our demons. And ultimately, I, I think about acts who are who are young, who are thrown in at early ages and, and, and find themselves in the in this kind of different world that we don't really live in, like Billie yeah. Eilish, for example, being a high profile one. But to hear you kind of have that perspective now at your age, starting this project, I'm not saying that you've figured it all out, but it does sound like you've managed to kind of go through maybe the mill and come out feeling a bit better. Yeah, I definitely feel a lot better. Thank you. Um, but I, de I definitely feel a lot better. Uh, yeah, like I said, I definitely went through a couple of years of where it really affected my mental health and, and really affected my relationship with with music. And, and it's just, it, I, I kind of find it a strange job because in one sense th this is what I do and enables me to you know not have a nine to five which is something I, I don't suit and there you know makes me money and I get to travel and all that sort of stuff but at the same time on the other hand it's also just this thing that I do in my room all the time that if the industry didn't exist I'd still be doing it all the time and I love that and it's really sort of a pure fulfillment thing so combining the two of those things can be quite dangerous and then if you lean too heavy on the industry side or you get caught up in that too much you can lose the love of the other side of it and and I definitely fell out of love with it for like two years um, probably about two years and, and I, yeah and I really suffered from it in, in terms of like you know, it affected my relationship with other people just personally outside of it. Um, obviously, if you're not in a good mood and you're around other people and you're giving off those vibes, it's it's not helpful. So, like, I, yeah, I think, I, I think I've learned to be able to maybe externalize with a lot of stuff and that, like, 
whilst on on this one side it is everything to me in terms of like again just like this is the only thing I do when I've got free time just to just to do something to feel good like to be able to have that as a separate thing to a project I'm doing that I can maybe now I can just like step outside of it a little bit realize that I'm I'm at my happiest when I'm in control of the things that I'm making and like really the only thing that is stopping anybody doing that which is unfortunate is money like if if we could all just you know if artists could have enough budget to make everything themselves and put it out themselves we never need a label and and knowing that is really good and knowing that that's what they offer is money and and also like they've got teams and stuff like that but that's not something specific to them you can do that yourself you can get a group of people together uh, fucking spot on lastly I guess um, you know we're talking about your second single you've been yeah. quite prolific so far you've given us of, of, uh, you've given us the exclusive on the third uh, are we building towards an album or what does the future hold for this yeah um, I think an EP first um, probably an EP in January um, got a couple more tracks coming out so there's one Puff and Clovers is next month um, then I've got one in December um, and then yeah hopefully January but then I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do it's all on my laptop I have a record and I have another EP as well but it's just whether I want to put the EP out first and then do the record or whatever but I've learned to try and um, not sit on things as much so I'm kind of because I get scared sometimes I'm like ah fuck I need to keep this record for a while just in case no more songs come but the more I release and, and especially releasing these first two I've written so much just because of that and it's something I'd forgotten about before it was like being in a cycle and putting yourself under pressure and having stuff out is is sort of promoting me writing more so yeah there is an album on the way I would assume I'm just going to say at the end of next year because shit changes all the time yeah. who, who fucking knows <laughs> Okay, well, we won't hold you to it uh, like crazy. We'll see what happens. But Crazy is the name of the new single. It's out now. Go check it out. Josh, I think I can officially bestow friend of the show and friend of Dave Van yeah. status. Absolutely. Let's go for a pint when this is all over. Beautiful thing, guys. Oh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure it. watching this happen. A really beautiful moment as we approach midnight lockdown. <laughs> Well, you did say, Craig. You did say last time when we talked about this, you were like, you were like, I want to keep an eye on this. It's like you guys are almost openly flirting with each other. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something going there's on. There's chemistry. There is, but the good kind of tension. <laughs> That's Josh McClory. Thank you so much, man. Greatly Thanks appreciate so it. Thank you. Thanks once again to Josh McClory. Crazy is the new single. It's out now. Go download it you know put it in your playlist do whatever it is that you do with your fucking singles yeah and uh craig i think that went pretty well don't you it was a beautiful thing as i mentioned in the interview just watching you guys kind of hit it off um a lot of mutual respect in the room two people i have a lot of time for and i'm just glad we got some closure i guess closure to that chapter and hopefully the start of a of a more upbeat um i don't know and a next chapter for all of us it was good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> I lost <laughs> rather run out of steam there. That was last week, right? That was last week. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're keeping it together this week. We're keeping the ship on, like, like on course. It's all good. But yeah, no, it's. It, I'm very happy about the whole thing. Maybe this is my new leaf. You know, maybe me making friends with musicians is actually what I should be doing. Next week, just... Popical Island. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think so. It's all just music, uh, folks. It's all just music. It, it is all just music. And as the premier music experience on the Heads Up Podcast Network, I'm glad that we are that indeed that experience, you know? Don't go anywhere else for your music podcast. But if you want to go as, elsewhere for topical stuff or a chat of a different nature, uh, here's one of the most popular shows on the network. What is Dublin? Do we have to explain what Dublin is? The Dublin podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I mean, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler mm-hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the um, world see the see the world around them. Is that it? I Is think that that's a good it. explanation well, of it? That's a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify, you can listen on iTunes, you can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Dubyard, Dublin Podcast, Dubyard Air Hulls. Well, yeah, that's definitely a show. Anyway, so listen, we're going to talk about albums now. We've got an album to review, and it's been some time coming. It's been 11 years coming. It's called Dark Hearts. The artist is Annie, and this song is called In Heaven. In Heaven by Annie. The album, like I said, is called Dark Hearts. This is normally the part of the show where I throw to Craig for a primer. Am I doing that or am I doing the primer? I'm, I'm good either way, man. It's your call. I can give you a quick primer if you want and then we'll get into um, your opinion, I guess, because that's what I really want to hear as a, as a fan of Annie. So this is the third LP only from Nor- the Norwegian artist, um, which is kind of, you know, considering she emerged, I think, way back in 1999 um, with a pretty captivating underground hit, The Greatest Hit. Um, And yeah, she had this brand of like strange mashup pop, which is now kind of essentially mainstream pop. Um, You could definitely say she's been influential. She certainly moved in the same circles as the likes of Xenomania. Um, So there was disco there, like indie deviations, mashups, Return of the Synth. Animal was her debut album. It didn't arrive till 2004. And I think that's maybe still her calling card for a lot of people. It would be for me, certainly. Um, I know she signed to Island Records and there was kind of problems there. A second album arrived in the form of Don't Stop, which, you know, was that story of getting great reviews. But I don't, I don't know if it felt like a classic for a lot of people. And it's been she's been releasing stuff, but it's been quiet on the front unless you've been a, a really um, a major fan. For her third record, she's kind of at a point where um, she's kind of started a family, but also she's going back to her hometown. Um, I think she moved home to help her mother, who sadly is battling dementia. So you've got this really um, kind of like she's at a crossroads in life, I guess. Um, She's looking at the ghosts of her old hometown, old loves. There's explicit kind of call outs to her childhood or teen years here. It's a kind of backward looking album in terms of sounds as well. So it's that kind of like new retro wave um, scape thing going on. There's a lot of like Vangelis um, influences. It's like a case of... Norwegians do it better, maybe, you know, as if Johnny Jill was on the desk. Um, and lots of Twin Peaks dreaminess, as you might have heard with that clip. So, Dave, how's Annie? 
Hello. Uh, <laughs> very good, Craig. I like that reference quite a lot. Very, very good. That should be on our, our no encore drinking game, which we must actually revisit at some point. Um, yeah, interesting. I'm a fan. I mean, it's interesting. Like, you know, we kind of start there by mentioning Greatest Hit, which came out at the turn of the century, because I did make that primer playlist for our patrons this week, and I left Greatest Hit off of it, which seems like a crazy thing to do. But I'm just not as enamored with that track as some other ones are. And maybe I was trying to be extra hipster but yes i did get some grief for that and perhaps rightly so it is a good song i was just like you know i agonized over it man i agonized over these things and i have been banging the you know annie's one of the best pop stars in the world drum for a very long time now um however that said i went into this album with surprisingly low expectations because the argument could be made that she hasn't quite done it over the course of an entire record and um, this one is you know 13 tracks by 54 minutes so you know it's it's considered and I think the end result here is, I think that this is her best album. And again, there are only three albums, but I do think that her best songs are found elsewhere. Now, if you'll let me explain that one, I'll just say that I Pray think do, it's- do, David. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, <clears throat> well, Craig, uh, I think it's um, her most kind of coherent A to B. It's her most kind of coherent narrative. And it's clearly born out of the fact that, you know, the life experiences that you mentioned there in your intro, the fact that she is now like 42 years of age, has a couple of kids- um, you know, has has lost people in her life, is currently, you know, dealing with, um, you know, like illness in the family and also the career as well has like taken all kinds of turns. I mean, she was kind of propelled to be this thing and it didn't quite work out. Even if you go back to like some of the cuts off Animal back in the mid 2000s, Chewing Gum was like one of her big kind of hits, but it only got to number 25 in the UK. It's her only top 40 hit in the UK. Um, that record also contains a song called Heartbeat, which I think is like a perfect five star pop song and should be the blueprint for a lot of people who make pop songs um but she was asked about it in a quietest interview there earlier this month she said that you know labels didn't really know what to do with her she said i didn't fit in with their ideas of what a young pop singer should be they'd be all why doesn't she have these dancers why aren't her visuals better um even though i remember like her appearing on pop world on t4 back then and she had like five identical women behind her and it was all this knowing arch thing and her music tends to be knowing perhaps too knowing for some people and i can understand that i can understand if you kind of make the argument against her because you could make it successfully that perhaps there's not a ton of depth in what she does that like it is kind of surface level and it is that kind of you know, that kind of glacial side of pop music that can be impressive, but a bit tropey, perhaps. Um, and as a result, I mean, is Dark Hearts a particularly strong album in that regard? It's a bit repetitive, you know, I think that she maybe runs down too many of the same kind of alleyways. But at the same time, I do think it stands to her as a work of kind of maturation. And even like, I think it's either in the same interview or it was in a different one. I think it's one that she did with Norwegian Arts, where she basically was like, look, I don't think it's going to end up in the charts and I'm fine with that. Like, I just want this record to stay with people and for it to have a long life. Her fans have been committed for this long. She has got that lifespan. She is, you know, a hipster darling, a cult favorite, a hidden gem, whatever kind of label you want to put on it. But she does make music of value. The question is, is it valuable enough for Craig Fitzpatrick? Um, that was really interesting um, because I think a lot of your points on the record was what I was feeling as well. I do guess that she's moved to uh, maybe a slightly more um, mannered, slower, sophisticated place with this. And she's reflecting on things in a way that maybe she didn't on previous releases. I was kind of reminded of like, you know, mid-period releases from the likes of George Michael or Madonna, where I think she, you know, she wanted to create something that would have legs and be long lasting and really stick with people. Um, that was what she was going for. And it has, like, she applied to that um, 
old chestnut of it being like a, a soundtrack track of a movie never made to it. And I did just feel like it's not quite missing a script, but it's skirting around the edges of something with more meat and substance because, this, you know, the source material and everything that's going on with her life um, is strong. There's a There should be a deeper well of feeling there, but I had... I really had trouble connecting and putting my finger on on why that wasn't quite working for me. Um, there's a few reasons I, I kind of reached. Uh, sonically, it's um, very smooth. It's immaculate sounding, but it feels to me like an approximation of an era. Um, the production can be kind of quite anonymous. Like it just reminds me of so much other stuff. Um, I think it's Stefan Storm that was working with her on this occasion. And I just think it lacks some of that like kind of tactile genius you might get from a Johnny Jeweler, you know, where it's dusty analog synths and it just felt more like presets of other stuff that's being done really well. And as I worked through it, I was uh, I was sitting on my bed the other night listening to this full blast. It was probably my fourth listen through. I was just taking notes and usually like marking down little details about tracks. But on a number of them, like as I moved through it, I was just writing like yeah, not great, bad on a few, which was flippant. Um, it's all fine, but I was kind of unimpressed. And I think it is that thing of like, if you strip away a lot of the production, which is kind of a homage, um, lyrically, it didn't grip me. And some of the melodies are kind of that overly sweet, kind of pure pop, simple thing where it could almost be <laughs> Westlife or something. Like it, it lacked some kind of dark magic that I want for this kind of synthy uh, nighttime music. Um, there was a few really good standouts. And when she's on and when she's hitting the notes, it really, really works. American Cars, I think, is a tremendous song. That was probably the one that stuck with me the most. Um, why I think that worked was because that's like got a real uh, visceral like serotonin rush. It's like, you know, first flush of like innocence and kind of escape and it didn't feel like it was looking back. It felt very immediate. The spoken word thing works really well. It's like a kind of Shangri-La's thing. And it's like a proper moment of like true transcendence. I don't know. It just works that kind of nihilism for me. But elsewhere, it felt like she's kind of just going through old diary entries, remembering the music she was listening to then. And it's very Julie Cruz and it's very Enya at times and, you know, Madonna circa Lila Benita. And it's tastefully done, but I think it kind of sinks under the weight of those influences and then its own weight just in the runtime because by the end a lot of the tracks just weren't working for me so there's a clutch of songs here I really like but as um an A to B kind of her best you know full piece of of work yeah it wasn't doing it for me yeah listen it's a common complaint in this show we talk about albums being too long every now and then and you know I understand that that can be a bit annoying to hear but also in this one it is frustrating because like it doesn't need to be 54 minutes long it mm. was you know this is an album I should have been counting the days for and I was kind of like oh class is out tomorrow um, there were times when it came to life for me there were times when I found myself out walking in the old Phoenix Park Craig and it was like you know it's you know it's bitterly cold here and there and it's you know windswept and there's leaves falling all around me and there's trees changing colors and i was like oh this works and it did like it totally it worked in that regard and it worked in the regard of having a relationship with the artist that built up over years and years and having you know expectations and having kind of just different whatever from her so it's like that's why it works for me from an a to b from an album point of view but it only works if you've been all in up to this point it's almost like getting season four of a television show 11 years after they cancelled the show or something you know even though she put out a couple of EPs here and there over the last decade which weren't really up to much to be honest with you and 
yeah, so that's why it can be doubly frustrating when you have some tracks in here that work really, really well. Um, and then you have some ones that don't. I mean, like, I think the opening, like the opening kind of crawl is pretty strong, like in Heaven, The Streets Where I Belong, and Dark Arts, I really like quite a bit. Uh, American Cars is great, I fully agree. That was the first single of this to come out. I enjoy, like, the surface level pop of, of a song like Forever 92. Um, but I think that's something like The Bomb, for example, is a bit of a dud. Uh, I think the closing track, It's Finally Over, which, you know, is a dangerous song title. Oh, I was uh, thinking that. I made that note. <laughs> She's just asking for people to jump on that one. Like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> fuck. I mean, at the end of this kind of long run. But at the same time, I think It's Finally Over is actually a, a beautiful song. And it also, again, it, it sums up the whole road that this artist has been on. Now, she's not necessarily like saying, I'm done now, but maybe she will because she did say in an interview that she didn't even know she'd make a new album. It just kind of came together naturally. Uh, she talks as well about how like the business keeps changing so much and you really have to just keep going, she says. If you want this, it's always up to you to make it happen. You can never really trust the record companies. I think that has been the biggest lesson for me. I think I'm still ambitious in the sense that I want the music to reach out to new people as well as people that I know from before, but I don't have any kind of interest in playing stadiums or anything like that. So this is an artist that I guess once tried to play the game to a degree. The game didn't work out for her at all in that sense you know she was never mm. going to be the biggest star in the world but you know like she will cite an Enya as you mentioned for example she too will be cited by a Dua Lipa or you know someone else like a Robin or someone else rising in that world perhaps um it kind of cuts both ways but yeah I mean like as a fan this album is a 7 out of 10 uh, like I guess you could argue slightly lower but I'm yeah I'm going 7 yeah, as someone that was that was aware of her uh, more well-known material, um, I was expecting maybe something more distinctive and I was surprised by the overall sound and aesthetic of this because, you know, it is clearly a personal album to her, but it just, it didn't, I didn't go, oh yeah, that's what I've been missing from Annie. So it was, it was a, I'm sorry to say a five for me with a, a couple of songs that I will continue listening to uh miracle mile really worked for me i think the opening stretch is quite nice dave as well yeah uh and american cars but yeah unfortunately a five out of ten for me well 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 what can you do you can't Mm. win them all you can't uh what else you've been listening to this week then craig what did work for you so um backwash which is spelt with an x in the middle i'm not sure if you're aware of this artist i think it's um montreal via um zambia so backwash she's essentially just won the polaris music prize which is canada's choice and that intrigued me so i went and i listened to the record and it's pretty brilliant it's um Alt hip hop in like the truest sense, some incredible samples. Um, it's called God Has Nothing to Do with This, so leave him out of it, which is brilliant. And uh, yeah, it's kind of got this horror aesthetic to it as well. I think you'd really like it. Very inventive. Um, I went back and listened to previous releases from her, um, DVNC being one, um, which are equally great, really short, snappy, brilliant. That one's kind of like if Grimes was reimagining Paul's Boutique. Um, so Backwash, yeah, that's Backwash with an X in the middle. Um, very much worth checking out. I'm sure a lot of people are already onto her, but brilliant, really good. All right, yeah, um, there was lots of stuff out last Friday and I guess some of the notable stuff. Health, of course, who I mentioned on the show quite often, uh, put out Disco 4 Part 1, which is essentially... Mostly a compilation of songs they've already put out with other artists, including Soccer Mommy, JPEG Mafia, and a few others. Um, 
like it's kind of you know a collection of singles that they've dropped randomly over the last kind of 18 months or so and yeah it's it's very different in terms of like the last record that came out which we reviewed on this show and we liked but didn't love um in that it's a bit more kind of there's like literally at one point where like on one of the tracks where they all of a sudden just go into this weird kind of uk rave thing and i'm like what the hell is this but i guess it's kind of like them stretching their muscles that way but look listen as the world is on fire there are a few acts i would recommend more than health they make glorious industrial pop and it's 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 great um but you know your mileage may vary um Lost Under Heaven, speaking of your mileage may vary, we talked about them before on the show. They put out a single called Alpha Omega, which is kind of more of the same from what they've been doing, but I enjoyed it. Orla Gartland has a good new single called Pretending. And one album that kind of stood out as well was, um, and I'm going to try and not get this name wrong, B Badooby. Uh, that's B Badooby. Uh, it's a thing very it's a well done from a singer songwriter. Um, and yeah, it's called Faked Flowers, is the name of the album. Very arresting guitar music. Uh, the production's fucking huge up in places that you don't necessarily expect it to be which really stood out as does her general kind of cadence and attitude which i thought was pretty good but uh yeah i mean it's been a weird week and i guess in that regard we've decided to turn the top five towards television the world of tv the small screen if you will what exactly are we talking about this week greg we're talking about tv team tunes best and worst you're on worst duties i'm going with my favorite five um and we didn't put too many perimeters around this, um, as we usually do. Uh, it doesn't have to be totally original music, but the association uh, with the song and the show has to be really, really strong. And yeah, um, I you, I ran into the usual problems of just having way too many um, to choose from. I didn't want to be clouded by my love for the shows as well. I think I might have fallen down in that regard with some of them, but I think the songs justified inclusion. Uh, yeah, this, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on worst as always. Uh, when we decided this, you were like, "Oh, you're probably going to want to do best as well," and I was like, "No, no, I'm happy to. I'm happy to stand back, Greg, and let you go." I'm pretty sure I know you're number one, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. Um, do you, yeah. w- which one of us should go first? Because I've got like an intro thing. You've got an intro thing. I know that much. So maybe we should start as we mean to go on and like get best going first. If you want to take it away. Okay, let's get in the mood first of all. Let's get a little old-fashioned BBC tunes on the go. Um, because they have a great reputation. Ah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Dave, just to say from the get-go that no BBC shows made my top five because it became a kind of, they're just so good, like the OG, um, like in-house BBC stuff that it was like a Sophie's Choice, but obviously a way more frivolous Sophie's Choice. Um, So it probably would have been Grandstand. I've got some BBC team tune facts for you, Dave, before I get into my five, if you want to hear them. They're pretty amazing. All right, so how how does this strike you? The composer of the EastEnders team began writing it when he was seven. What? Yeah, he was learning piano apparently and just came up with the melody, which was pretty impressive. Jesus. The the composer of the Panorama theme also wrote the music for softcore erotica film Emmanuel 2. Yep. I mean, I'm not familiar with it, of course. <laughs> Delia, <laughs> Delia Derbyshire never received a royalty for her work on the Doctor Who theme. She basically did that iconic, but she was like in-house, so she has to be on a salary. So yeah, missed out on millions. Um, which is very, very sad for her. 
And finally, which is just lovely stuff, the writer of the Match of the Day team doesn't even like football. All right, let's do my number five. On the run, driving in the sun, looking up for number one. California, here we come, right back where we started from. Well, hustlers, grab your guns, your shadow weighs a ton, driving down the 101. California, here we come, right back where we started from. California. so oh, good i needed that what is going we on? had I... adam headbanging to of course phantom planets california um taken from uh the oc which charted the troubled 30 year old teenager ryan atwood as he made his way <laughs> through the privileged world of orange county way back around about 2004 and yeah i mean you know it is piano led indie pop from um uh, the mid uh 80s but i think that those pounding drums and the vocals of like that kind of announcement of here we come such a good epic intro to a very good um teen drama i think right you're you obsessed with, you're obsessed with this show you know i've never seen <laughs> yeah, it. why don't you just wax <laughs> lyrical about your favorite show there craig go on that's what this is excuse for, let's be honest <laughs> Did you watch One Tree Hill or am yeah. I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, I the you first did, of three, course. The first three odd seasons of it when I worked in Extra Vision and I loved it. And also, better theme tune, I'll have you know. I was going to say, um, One Tree Hill did not work for me. I found it too melodramatic. I didn't think the writing was as strong, just like the team tune in that regard. I think if you compare <laughs> both team tunes, you can see the clear winner. Can I just um, say, can I just say, yeah. I think it's appropriate um that our 10-year friendship you know I've, we watched these yeah. shows i presume before we met each other i think it's appropriate that you know you are the yin to my yan you are the guy who generally doesn't piss off independent irish musicians i'm the guy who really goes for them generally it would generally it would be it would be remiss if if we were on the same page on this one i'm happy to be a one tree hill guy i'm glad that you're an oc guy but i'll never we'll never meet in the middle on it that's the one thing we will never be united on unless of course if this lockdown continues craig and we somehow like I'll watch the OC, you can watch One Tree Hill and just see, we can report back and see how it goes. Sounds like a podcast, Dave. It sounds like a very, very niche podcast. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, let's not do that then. A little bit of trivia about Phantom Planet, of course. Those pounding drums I was referencing were um, taken care of by Jason Swartzman, who then left the band to uh, concentrate on his acting. He was like, guys, I, I can't concentrate. <laughs> These drums are too epic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that show. The, you know, music was such an intrinsic part as well with the bait shop, which Dave, you won't know about, but they featured the likes of um, The Killers, The Trills, Dead Cab, um, Rooney, of course, instrumental in one um, plot with that brilliant song, I'm shaking. Good times, they, dude. R- remind me, were Rooney a real band or were they construction of the show? No, they were very much a real band, but the show was pretty much their only moment in Spotlight. I might be doing them a, a deep disservice, but I think they they were never taken all that seriously. They were kind of the Urban Outfitters version of, say, a Strokes or, you know, other more legitimate bands around the, about that time. Um, but I'm Shaken's a great song and the OC is a great show. That's my number five. 
Okay, uh, before I get going on my number five, I wanted to pick a song to kick me off in terms of the tone. And I wanted to pick a yes. song that, like, ultimately I was like, should this go in the top five worst? And I thought, you know what? No, because it has given me joy. And I love how bizarre it is. So I thought maybe it sits on the precipice of good and bad. So, you know, picture the scene, Craig. You're sitting down, you know, you're flicking through Netflix and you're like, I will watch this television show, this documentary about a, about a football club on the brink. I'll stick it on and I'll get this straight away. <laughs> If you could see me now If you could see me now I hope that I'm making you proud I hope that I'm making you proud Hope that I'm making you proud. Yes, indeed. Haunting stuff there from the Lake Poets. That song is called Shipyards and it is inexplicably the, and it's a 90 second long theme tune, by the way, uh, when they play it on the show. The intro music to Sunderland Till I Die, the amazing two season, sadly not coming back for a third because the club were like, we've had enough of this. Um, documentary <laughs> series charting Sunderland's fall and fall and subsequent fall and oh will they rise no they're gonna fall again it's an amazing show we talked about it on no popcorn have you watched it craig no i've seen snippets and i i really need to watch it i watched the spurs Man. one and <laughs> which was kind of enjoyable just for Mourinho, but i know the sunderland one is like gonna eclipse that once i get around to it i might it's stick so it better. on this bank so holiday weekend it's so much better and also like there's not that many there's like eight episodes in season one six in season two and that's it and also this is much like my constant recommend for metallica some kind of monster how have i tied this in listener you want to know it's because i've got skills that's how but i will say you don't even need to like football you could fucking hate football and i'd still recommend that you watch it it's incredible but that is not my number five this is my number five. Worst TV show theme tunes, my number five. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you. Remember all their faces, remember all their voices, everything is different the second time around. Yeah, let's say uh, You've Got Time by Regina Spector. It's the intro. It is Regina to, Spector, okay. It is Regina Spector. It's, uh, do you know what show it is? It's Orange is the New Black, which was uh, one of one of Netflix's first kind of, oh, Netflix are making TV shows now, I guess, which uh, came out, what, seven years ago? Because it got seven seasons of that fucking show. Uh, I watched the first couple and I was like, this is all right, not great. And then I was like, you know what? This isn't very good. I'm not really into it. And that theme song. Every time it would come on, it would just like instill dread in me. I'm not a big Regina Spector guy, to be honest with you. But this song is just, I mean, I kind of went back and forth in this one. I actually, I did the audio cut and I and I, I trashed it, you know. I recycled in the 
the fuck out of it because I was like, I'm not going to use it. Then I was like, yeah, I, think I should, because like the more it goes on, just the more irritating it gets. Um, it was written specifically for the show by Regina Spector. Uh, she was approached by the creator of Orange is New Black, uh, Genji Kohan, who I think previously did Weeds, which I think Spectre did a song for that as well. Um, anyway, so she was like, I listened to Regina's albums obsessively while writing the series, so I immediately thought of her for our theme song. She gave uh, Regina Spectre rough edits of the episodes while the first season was in production. Inspector said that she composed the song while thinking about the idea of what it must be like to be in prison and the different states of mind. Yeah. Uh, after recording the song with producer Rob Cavallo, she brought the demo to Cohen, initially apprehensive that she wouldn't like it. We took out the rough mix and listened to it with our headphones and sort of held our breath. And Genji Cohen said, this is fucking awesome. I love it. It's going to fit really, really well. Uh, but it's very subtle, you know, like the animals all trapped around the place, you know, like, like kind of like a prison, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. It's just the song isn't really working. Like, I do admire that approach where it must be difficult to not be too on the nose, but also somehow set up the show. Because, of course, there's different, like, for TV team tunes, there's different ways you're going to go. Some are just, like, catchy jingles, some are mood setters. And then you have this genre where it's, like, almost about providing a synopsis of the, like, storyline or the feel of the show, um, letting you know how it's going to be. I think the problem with this is it kind of lets you know that it's going to be crap. I don't know, maybe the show was, I'm sure people adore that show, but yeah, it just, um, just that clip did very little for me and I won't be catching up on Orange is New Black. Suddenly until I die though, Craig, that's what you should go to next. Yeah, well, I'm going to go to my number four next and this is not a synopsis of the show. This is an instrumental, um, when I was making my decisions, I had loads of songs in the mix and I went back to my original five. So it's an extremely Craig list. And this is maybe a little Irish bias. Who knows? Yeah, Father Ted, of course, uh, written by the Divine Comedy's Neil Hannon. Um, and it's a very obvious one, but when I was listening back to it, it's just so undeniable. It's so wistful and mournful and beautiful. And yeah, it's kind of like a childhood favourite, I guess. Um, initially, Pulp were apparently approached um, to write the song for Father Ted, and they declined. Um, so... Then uh, show creators moved on to the Divine Comedy. Uh, Neil Hannon wrote pretty much all the music on it. He did My Lovely Horse, of course. Um, he came up with two efforts. The first one was kind of like apparently very jaunty and like sitcom-y. And um, Graham Linehan, um, to invoke that name, <laughs> and Arthur Matthews wanted to go with that one. And um, a guy called Jeffrey Perkins said, actually, guys, I don't think you should go with the jaunty one um, because it's basically you taking the piss out of sitcoms and why you're taking the piss out of your characters because people are going to fall in love with these characters. Um, so they went with the second one, which is got a way more depth, it's way more beautiful. And yeah, it's just, it's very sad. It reminds me of like, you know, the late great Dermot Morgan. Um, that guitar line was played on like William Reed's guitar from Jesus and Mary Chain. And then it became a full proper standalone song on a Divine Comedy album, um, Songs of Love, which is great as well. It's a totally different lyric to it and it works brilliantly. But yeah, I, it's a very, very obvious one. Um, but I love it. I had to include it. 
I really, really like it. Um, and I do think that it's very much uh, iconic in that kind of way. Like, you know, in that way that a lot of 90s TV shows were in that they just, you know, yeah. there was a certain ritual to watching them on TV at like half nine on a Tuesday or whatever. And yeah, it's great. It suits the show. It fits the whole thing, I guess. It's interesting because like when I was talking about putting together my worst list, uh, with my housemate, uh, famed newsman Richard Chambers, he suggested <laughs> this for the worst, and I was like, "Get out of town! It's really good music." What he doesn't yeah, like? Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, that's interesting. And is he a big reason. fan of the show? Um, okay, it's true. Conversation kind of moved on pretty quickly after that one. I just, I think, I just left the room in disgust. You know, but um, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Thank I you. like it quite a bit. I, I think it does. You know, like Father Ted's one of those shows where I think ultimately. You know, I guess through circumstance and tragic circumstance, of course, it was maybe cut short, but also I think it works in terms of like its legacy. I don't think it needed to run for 10 seasons. Yeah, yeah. They were kind of, even they were kind of like season three wasn't as good as what came before. Like maybe they had kind of hit the wall a little bit, but it's pretty fucking funny. And yeah, as you say, there's like, there is a darkness to that show. Like there is a kind of a like a real melancholy in there as well and i don't think a more zestier theme would work i think this one kind of does drag you into the muck so to speak so it works in that regard yeah for sure uh number four for me back on the old worst ones um something i invoke all the time on this show so i might as well invoke it here play that music adam No prizes for guessing who that is. It is, of course, Papa Roach. The song is called To Be Loved. Craig, can you guess what kind of show this was soundtracking? Uh, some terrible teen drama. I don't actually know. Should I know this one? Uh, I'll give you a clue. very angsty. Kind of a long-running variety show. American. What? American <laughs> Idol? <laughs> no, uh, perhaps a more, like, a, a more carnival-esque attraction, you could say. Action. I'm not sure. I don't know. America's Got Talent or something? It's Monday Night Raw, Craig. It's professional wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Why why was I thinking America's... The first one was a joke, but I kind of meant America's Got Talent. I was like, did they really have this kind of snotty, punky number starting every show? (laughs) So this... Fair enough. uh, Monday Night Raw is unusual in lots of ways. And one of those ways is that it changes its theme tune every now and then. So Papa Roach did the honours from October 2006 until November 2009. Uh, Like, you could pick so many different... Like, Nickelback are in here as well. Nickelback did one. Uh, called Burn to the Ground which oh, Marilyn Manson Beautiful People was used for a few weeks uh, you also had acts like acts that kind of only exist in America like Shine Down and Out of Sight like you know the kind of things that don't really travel over the water anymore um, and lots of in-house productions as well I couldn't even tell you who does the current one but you know 06, 09 I think I was watching Raw on the regular and like this fucking theme tune man it's went through my brain I liked Papa Roach when they emerged around about 2000 or so I do think Last Resort remains a tune even if I did work in an office there last year where it would always be played as a joke every now and then and it was the kind of joke that made you just want to throw yourself out of a fucking window defenestrate yourself you might say as I like to say every now and then <laughs> but yeah, you do I mean, it's like, a great word it's a great word spoiled for choice with, uh, with, with Raw and with wrestling in general lots of very you know th- th- there's a joke about WWE over the years that like they only have like five bands on speed dial 
And it's just like, you know, <laughs> Kid Rock, uh, Stained, Limp Bizkit, of course, and several others. Every now and then, whether it's like a, a hype package for a feud or a, you know, a wrestling pay-per-view promo theme, you do get some belters, but you also get absolute trash like this. Yeah, it, it put me in mind of um, Malcolm in the middle immediately, like that you're not the boss of me now thing where it's just very snotty and yeah, it is very Papa Roach and it has not stirred my interest in wrestling. My long dormant interest that kind of um, ceased roundabout, I don't know, 2000, 2001. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty terrible. Okay, my number three, we're into territory now where I get goosebumps listening to this stuff. And when I was cutting this clip, my first thought was, I need to go back and watch this show pretty quickly. From True Detective Season 1, uh, The Handsome Family with Far From Any Road. And a measure of the greatness of the song was that when Season 2 rolled around, the infamous Season 2, um, with Vince Vaughn's Blue Balls of the Heart. Um, it sounds like sacrilege, but when you heard, heard Leonard Cohn's Nevermind, which is a great song, you kind of knew it wasn't going to be the same. Uh, this was just so bloody evocative. So good for like a magical just kind of capsule moment. I don't know, that that show... On paper, it's so tropey, it shouldn't quite work, but it just comes together so well. And a large part of that is the atmosphere. It's conjured up brilliantly by this song, which is like uh, this New Mexican uh, duo. Uh, it's a husband and wife act, Brett and Rennie Sparks. And just this song they had, it was off one of their albums that was kind of going unnoticed, just about the uh, you know, t- taking hallucinogenics in the desert and all the kind of mystical stuff that goes along with that. And it's just got this very surreal, metaphysical vibe to it. It's almost kind of Lovecraftian and yeah, totally plugs into that show. And yeah, yeah, I love it. Great choice. Yeah, it's um, it was helped along as well, I think, by that like HBO intro as well, the TV kind of yeah, the sort of so. thing, uh, of which there are many great examples. Um. But yeah, no, I mean, that, that was a pop culture moment for sure. And I thought the show was great. I've seen all three seasons, including the infamous season two, which I think is nowhere near as bad as people say it is. But I ain't about to make the case that it's great or anything. Has its moments, I would say. It's a Colin mess. Farrell, it's, yeah, it Colin, definitely Colin has Farrell's really good now, And it is a mess, yeah. But it, but it works in some regards. Uh, season one was cool, though. It was this kind of moment in time. And as a matter of fact, to tie into our episode last week, I remember like the Future Islands thing on Letterman and that song happened around that time. And I misremembered for a while. I misremembered like the last episode the last shot of the last episode um i i I misremembered that in my head as like the the end credits music was seasons by future island which like of course (laughs) wouldn't work at all interesting (laughs) (laughs) but this was incredible i remember the um, remember the band were announced for like wheelands or something uh shortly after the you know the show was running because obviously they were getting some bookings and i was like yeah go i was like will i go to that show and i was like nah because if i go to that show i'm gonna be doing what everyone's doing which is waiting for this one song i know like that's gonna be fucking weird right but it is those shows never work 
Yeah, no, completely not. Uh, it is great, and I was tempted, and everything about it, yeah, like this song, the opening credits, the graphic design of it, the show itself, it just, it all it all fit into a beautiful eight-episode package, and every time you went episode by episode and this song came on, you, did, you got that little bit more excited. So, yeah, excellent, excellent choice, Craig. I'm very, very impressed by that one. Uh, I think you'll be uh, impressed by number th- by, by by my number three though. So let's do it. And as a matter of fact, going to give you a bit of a lead in. We're going to set the scene here, get a bit of the flavor of this show, and then we'll hit man. that music. Nice. Your stuff and get out. Hey, sit in your house, man. Are you a tough guy now? AJ, don't. Ryan, just get out. Don't worry about your own kids, AJ. Instead of freeloading off my mom. Hey. 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 Craig, I have seen some of the OC because I dipped into the pilot there this week, just the first couple of few minutes, you know, just to get a taste for it and see if the prestige TV, if the intro theme would be there. How dare you? And I feel like this uh, California by Phantom Planet, of course, the OC. Uh, I feel like this is like maybe slightly early version, slightly demo version. It's a little bit slower. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, is the rest of the show as entertaining as that couple of minutes I watched or or what? It's a wild ride, Dave. Um, and the musical choices are insane. You need to stick with it for like after Marissa dies around about season three. Spoiler and they about. use, they use, yeah, I know everyone's seen the OC at this point, except for you. And they use um, Placebo's cover of Running Up That Hill, which is brilliant, um, to soundtrack Ryan running away to become a cage fighter, which oh, is nice. great. Uh, that cover, so yeah, you got to love that melodrama. You need to sink into it, Dave, I'm telling you. That specific cover was also used in one of the best wrestling uh, pay-per-view package things between the feud between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, uh, which find was some amazing. harmony. So yeah, listen, like, like, there's all kinds of simpaticoness. Maybe we are closer on that middle ground than I thought. Um, let's. I didn't say too much about the song when you picked it because I knew it was upcoming for me. Yeah, dissected a bit there for me because I think it's, um, it's one of really, the greatest songs ever written. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really like kind of reedy and whiny and like very like privileged white male angst, uh, which I guess is what this show is, of course. Probably. The show is about, yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, can you name another Phantom Planet song? What kind of career do they even have? Especially after Jason Schwartzman was like, I'm off, see ya. I'm off to star in Wes Anderson movies, bye. I have no idea. I'd say they've been trading on this and the kind of Jason's Horseman Association for a long time. They're probably doing fine. Um, maybe they were the kind of bands that were like set up for life before they even got into a band. I don't know. They might be that kind of privileged affluent. I might be doing them as a service, but I, I kind of feel like they're all the sons of like network executives. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't dive into any more Phantom Planet stuff because they wrote the perfect song for the perfect <laughs> mid-naughties um, teen drama and yeah well, i'm, on. I'm, I'm shocked some... dave that you picked this 
I'm doing some. No, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm doing some, uh, some. Well, considering I, I, the fact that you like, uh, yeah, I understand that you wouldn't like this one, but the fact that you really like the team tune for One Tree Hill, it's like throws could, me for a loop. But I, but I don't have the passion. Uh, as for Phantom Planet, I'm I doing some, I'm doing some real time. Anything other here. than what I've been trying to be lately. <laughs> I don't ever be what I've been so lately. bad. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is, I don't know. Gavin As two white guys are really good at basketball, just like, you know, <laughs> probably, Man, yeah, a, it is Gavin DeGraw. What a show, what a show. <laughs> uh, Phantom Planet, right, uh, took a hiatus in, in, in 2008, apparently, and they reunited in 2019. Yeah. So they actually are back. Oh, they're back, fact. baby. Yeah, they're all back. And they have an album coming out this year. Hang on, has it come out already? It came out in June. It's called Devastator. I might go listen to it. Not now, though. Now we move on with yeah. the show. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I can move on One Tree Hill which was just you know like a total Dawson's Creek wannabe with basketball you hold Um, your tongue sir how dare you (laughs) I think you'll agree it wasn't as good as this show Make it like the wind, Angelo, as David Lynch said to his partner in crime. Uh, Twin Peaks, the theme. Yeah. Um, Are you a little surprised this wasn't my number one? Is this Uh, the one you thought was going to be You completely, yeah, you've done it. Well done. And you've also shattered my heart, much like David Lynch and Angelo (laughs) Badalamenti did it all over again. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of, there's not skipping the opening credits because the music is good. And then there is the opening credits, like suspending time, totally transporting you and yeah what the music does in that like those visuals of like really kind of quite mundane stuff just like you've got the bird you've got the kind of the log cutting and stuff but it just becomes this totally serene thing and you're just you're right there and yeah this was probably the peak of the collaboration which is still ongoing and hopefully will continue for many years um between angelo badalmenti um who has just turned 80 i think and david lynch and yeah um if you haven't seen the uh, clip of the two of them working together, or sorry, Angelo reliving the two of them working together on Laura Palmer's team from that show as well, um, check it out on YouTube. It's a favourite of myself and Dave's. Um, it's just, it's insane. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> Angelo kind of in a reverie retelling how David Lynch sat beside him at this old Fender Rhodes and described um, the woods and the scene and the, the girl that was Laura Palmer and the sad and he just wrote this haunting melody um so yeah laura palmer's theme could have been there but i stuck to kind of main uh opening themes and stuff like that and i think this is one i come back to the most but yeah it's just it's it's incredible uh very evocative instantly recognizable probably held up there as the biggest theme tune for people of our generation at this point in time right it's probably the obvious number one Oh, it's literally perfect. But hang on, I need to hear the Angelo clip in real time because it is astonishing. Adam, can you please do the honours? I could see her. And she's walking towards the camera and she's coming closer. Just keep building it. 
Just keep building it. And she's getting close. Now reach some kind of climax. And I would go, and he said, oh, that's it. Oh, that's so beautiful. Angelo. Oh, that's tearing my heart out. Oh, man. It's Point tearing of my heart out, <laughs> Without the visual. <laughs> It's just unbelievable, man. It's incredible. Do you know what? I just, I recently finished listening to David Lynch's audiobook, his like memoir, Room to Dream, which is half him talking about his life and half a biographer just giving the full story from like other people that know him. So you get this like standard, like talking about his films and all that kind of stuff. And then David Lynch's parts are him like talking about how he made like homemade bombs and just really minute stuff and then glossing over entire films and things. It's brilliant. It's a great listen recommend that as an audiobook but yeah it's literally a perfect piece of music it's a perfect theme tune obviously on the show you know by now we are obsessed with twin peaks and yeah uh, i've got an idea what your number one is now by comparison but i guess we'll get there when we get there back over to me on okay. the other side of this argument um this one is often cited by most people as like the the go-to uh it's an absolute disaster of a song that i don't know i mean like maybe it loops back around to being kind of interestingly good but also still terrible uh it's from a show and a franchise i never really watched but it is infamous in its own right get ready get that lighter again put that lighter in the air adam because we're going back to emotional town here let's do it for my number two it's been a long road getting from there to here it's been a long time but my time is finally near I will see my dream come alive at last I will touch the sky And they're not gonna hold me down no more No, they're not gonna change my mind Cause I've got faith of the heart Oh, it's just so oh. emotional. Uh, <laughs> Craig's grumble there. I love it. That's uh, <laughs> that's English tenor Russell Watson. And the song is called Where My Heart Will Take Me. Now, it's actually kind of a cover version slash rework of a Rod Stewart song called Faith of the Heart, which was written by Diane Warren for the soundtrack to the 1998 film Patch Adams. But this version of it, the, the, I know, like you're already dealing with very like schmaltzy territory. But this version of it, right, by Russell Watson, uh, soundtracks the... 2001 television series Star Trek Enterprise because nothing says going into outer space. What? I swear to God. <laughs> like, and that's quite, got quite a heritage. Like Star Trek over the years has done some iconic kind of soundtrack work. But they, what? I'm blown I know, away. Yeah. It's shocking, isn't it? And like this was not well received, right? So like uh, <laughs> that, that, that show which uh, stars Quantum Leap Man himself, Scott Bakula. I pre- presume that's how it's pronounced. Or maybe it's Bakula. I don't know. But the point is, right? I think it's um, Bakula, yeah. When the pilot episode of the show came out, 
Uh, the reception among Star Trek fans was mostly negative. Uh, an online petition was formed and a protest was held outside Paramount Studios against the use of the song. One petition said that we wish to express our unmitigated disgust with the theme song that has been selected. It's not fit to be scraped off the bottom of a Klingon's boot. Simon Pegg, who of course would later uh, play <laughs> Scotty in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek trilogy, said he's never watched Enterprise because of the song, which he described as dreadful soft rock and, quote, probably the most hideous Star Trek moment in history. Uh, yeah. The executive producer it's, of the show, however, Rick Berman, said it's good and it's got a lot of hopefulness and uplifting qualities to it. <laughs> I've met people who like it and I've met people who uh, don't like it so much. As for uh, Russell Watson, he said, fans will get used to it. <laughs> so fair play to him. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, it's just the sound of total constipation from listening to that. I will say if, Dave, if we were still doing like flowery titles for episodes, going back to Emotional Town would be applicable maybe for every episode. Oh, yeah. We but yeah, this week, is, so. it doesn't fit, obviously, Star Trek whatsoever, because it's, yeah, soft rock is kind of like Heartland rock. It reminds me of, you know, there'd be episodes of like Next Generation where they were suddenly on, on Earth. And you'd see like Picard in a pair of jeans or something. And that always was very disconcerting for me. There shouldn't be any <laughs> kind of like a Star Trek that's rooted in like actual kind of modern times. And yeah, this just kind of, uh, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. So it's a great, great pick. Well done, Thank Dave. You, sir. Thank you, man. All right. Okay. My number one. Um, I'll give some um, shouts to some stuff that didn't quite make it. Um, the Persuaders, Dave, are you aware of John Barry's theme for The Persuaders? Because I wasn't, and it's phenomenal. So that's really good. Check that out. Uh, it's kind of like this heavily kind of melancholy, mysterious Bond-esque thing, but it's sublime. It's better than a lot of Bond themes. Mission Impossible was a TV show, of course, first, but I left that out because like, I kind of associated with the cruiser and films now, but that's got to be right up there. Uh, in terms of modern stuff, Bojack Horseman, which I've never watched that has a surprisingly amazing like avant-garde electronic jazz thing that made me want to watch that show. But it all pales in comparison to my number one, which is uh, my number one ahead of Twin Peaks, I think, because I think I've loved it for longer. And also, unlike Twin Peaks, where I'm just obsessed with that show, as you alluded to, Dave, um, I never really got into this show. I saw a lot of ep- episodes years ago. I've no real need to revisit it because I think this team tune sums up the entire show. This is all you need. be surprised if this was your guess dave when you changed you know when you heard twin peaks and were like okay i think i know what it's going to be was this your guess it's inspector morse uh no my guess was mad men or the wire okay okay interesting um yeah that was probably a more realistic show but no it's morse it's by um barrington Falong, who was an australian composer passed away i think last year and this is it's just so haunting i've loved it for years yeah, didn't watch a lot of Morse. I think Morse was kind of groundbreaking in its own way because like every episode was like two hours long. Uh, it's like this ITV drama that was basically feature film in length. And John Taw, of course, is incredible. Like great John Taw. 
Um, and yeah, this just totally evokes like very sorrowful like country lanes around Oxford and just him in like his vintage jag. I love the fact that it's based around Morse code and it spells out like his name, which was Endeavor Morse. It just works really well. Apparently, uh, the composer used to work in like spoilers for the episodes in Morse code in different episodes, which is great. That's so nerdy, but brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But I think this really works because it's just like he was talking about how he came up with this when he got the brief, essentially, and he read all the books that Morse was based on. He was like, okay, so the character is like really into classical music. It's a huge facet of his personality. This is exactly what he's listening to all the time. He's got like a cryptic mind. So that's how you bring in the Morse and stuff. And it's just, yeah, I, I, it's a personal favourite. Bring in favorite. the Morse. <laughs> <laughs> bring in the Morse. <laughs> and yeah, I just, this is, this is like one that, as with Twin Peaks, I will just stick on on occasion and just like let it like wash over me. I love it. It's so haunting. Yeah, I mean, it's a show I've never really watched, I must say, but uh, it is cool. It is singular. It is unique. I can't believe you didn't go for Mad Men. I, mean, I, I would have thought like season one of The Wire, maybe, but uh, yeah, you, you've gazumped me, the, Craig. Yeah, The Wire would have been uh, a good shout, um, those changing themes. Mad Men, I always found, was like a lot like a lot of like Thomas Newman film work, and it just has that light kind of glassy feel to it. It's good, but it's not that distinctive. Succession is a great recent one. Love that one. Oh, man. Um, I, yeah, it's so, so, so good. And Nicholas Bertel, and of course, the hilariously awkward Pusha T version, which is worth tracking. <laughs> Which is just like, yeah, a push T never misses except on that occasion. Well, I applaud you for avoiding recency bias there, great as that theme tune is. And I'm going to commend myself uh, for not choosing the newsroom in a week in which I watched uh, <laughs> The Trial of the Chicago 7. Speaking of Aaron Sorkin at his worst, that film is a fucking train wreck. And I kind of need everyone to see it so I can talk to them about it. So by all means, check it out and let me know what you think of it. It's really bad. But um, I guess, like, you know, in terms of my list, you know, like counting down here from five to one one you know orange is the new black i've got a prison drama monday night raw i've got a a sideshow attraction number three the oc there of course some teen angst drama and then we go to space for star trek enterprise so i i like that i've kind of genre doing it all yeah 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 the one thing i haven't touched on craig is of course and this this is like where do you even begin to pick one the american sitcom that's what we're going to go for number one. Mm-hmm. So many choices. I asked you uh, yesterday, I was like, can I have a tie? And my tie was going to be the American sitcom one. And I was actually going to kick the list off at number five. And then I did some thinking because you were a little bit frosty on that idea. You were like, well, that's just basically like picking six, isn't it, Dave? And I was like, yeah, you make a good point. Man makes a good point. <laughs> I don't think I said it like that, uh, but yes. It was a lot friendlier, to be fair. But like, essentially, I went away, went back to the drawing board and I said, okay, he's got a point. That's fair. I need to really, really knuckle up here. So I thought, you know what? Not only am I going to take the tie out, I'm going to move this from five to one because it is that objectionable. I had lots of options. We'll talk about some of them. Craig, get ready for the worst 23 seconds of your week because here they come. Men, 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 manly men, 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 manly men, 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 manly men. Vile, repugnant, trash, two and a half men, of course. Uh, disgusting show. But what Horrendous. about the theme tune? <laughs> <laughs> and the theme tune. Uh, oh, it just makes my skin crawl. Uh, do you know how many seasons the show ran for? Oh, God, that was on forever. I'd say 10, maybe. 
The answer is 12. Uh, 262 okay. episodes. Was it two with Ashton Kutcher? Did I nail the amount of Charlie Sheen ones? I probably did. Uh, I'll look that up now. Hang on a second. <laughs> okay. uh, cast and characters. He's he he's hastily scrolls through his Wikipedia because, page. Yeah, I will say, I was just talking with seasons a friend about... Seasons 9 to 12. You're for four seasons? Sorry, go on. Wow, wow. I was talking about Charlie Sheen with a friend recently for some reason and they mentioned that, do you remember he went on to do like Anger Management, a sitcom called Anger Man- Management, which is based on a film, and this was post like Tiger Blood and all of that. And he got paid more per episode for that show than he did for Two and a Half Men. And he got paid even more, my friend was telling me, after that went beyond 100 episodes. And I said, what? <laughs> Anger Management had over 100 episodes. So yeah. I think that's a thing in the States. It's like syndication. If you reach 100 episodes, you then are syndicated, you syndication. Yeah. And thus you get royalties or something. So yeah, it's like it's... it's because it just means deal. it's yeah, going to be shown forever. Yeah. Um, I, I will have a counter argument for this uh, particular team tune and say, actually, Dave, it's very clever and meta because it's supposed to be composed by Charlie, who is a jingle writer who writes terrible jingles and just gets paid huge amounts of money because he's that kind of character that gets by on his looks and charisma rather than his talent. And of course, that would be a lie. It's just a terrible jingle. But <laughs> so you on. couldn't make that. <laughs> so what you're saying is, I should have... Uh, this was composed by the show creator it, Chuck Laurie, by the way. It's meant to be the worst theme tune of all yeah. time. <laughs> and also, uh, Lee Aronson and Grant Geisman. Lee Aronson would go on to write for a show called The Big Bang Theory, which I did consider oh, for this. It's even worse somehow. Yeah, Horrendous, horrendous theme tune, horrendous, horrendous show. But that wasn't going to be my tie with this one. I was going to go all like potentially controversial, but I think I'm right. I was going to pick... Friends, the the Rembrandts, and I'll be there for you, which is just like beaten into submission, and like is now again a signifier of it's, dread as well. It takes you back to those days when it was on E four all day, and you were like, I can't get yeah. a job, and now it's like, oh, I can't get a job also now because of a fucking pandemic, and the last thing I want to hear is stealing in with nineties like fucking sidewalk rock. No, thank you. Yeah, it, it it totally is a case of familiarity breeding contempt. That is very much a, a rip off. I always felt of the team from Cheers. Because it does the exact same thing of like, it's kind of a synopsis for the show, but it's basically saying like, here's the vibe. It's like, with Cheers, it's just like, if you need to get away from all your troubles and then it lists all the troubles, you can go to like the bar, blah, blah, blah. It's a much better song. And Friends does the same thing, but it's a much more irritating song. So yeah. Yeah. And Two and a Half Men just makes me want, <laughs> want to vomit all over the fucking, all over everything, Greg, all over everything. Uh, that was our top five for the week. Best and worst TV show theme tunes. Of Roller course, coaster. There's a lot, lots of stuff there to pick from for sure. Next week, though, top five, we're, because we'll be coming out around Halloween. It's time for top five scary songs. How are you feeling with that one? Yeah, it's going to be a brilliant one. Are we doing, does it have to scare us? <laughs> or is it just like Halloween themed or what is the you put the perimeters on this one Dave what are we looking um, for I'm not going to pick novelty songs I don't think but I'm not saying that you can't pick them I'm not saying that you can't pick songs about Halloween or made for Halloween I mean I think I'm going to pick songs it that, should evoke kind of horror or yeah, dread I, I, or I think, we're going for that vibe yeah, more than I think okay. we should. I think we should go hardcore on this one and if there is any music okay, that I scared like that. you specifically go for it or if you think it doesn't still terror into the listener I've already got two or three in my head man So, but but I'm not against I'm not against you know novelty stuff if, if that's where you want to go with it you know so it's you know it's monster mash all the way baby why not um i don't know what we're gonna do for an album review possibly bruce springsteen i haven't looked at what else is out but it could very well be the boss why not we'll see how we go okay okay um most important thing that's left to say is 
Uh, on a serious note, uh, I'm no fucking expert here, but like obviously the world is in a very strange place right now. It is a privilege to do the show week on week. I hope that we're providing some entertainment to people out there in the world. Uh, and by the world, I mean people who listen to the show, essentially. I don't know how big that world is. It's always available at patreon.com slash noancore if you want to help the show continue to run. But more importantly, uh, and I mean this because I've had a couple of weeks lately where like my own mental health has taken a huge dip and there can be sometimes when as the lads here can tell or have seen before even when we like hit on fucking zoom to do this show it can be difficult and like i can find myself just not really able to kind of open up and sometimes i feel a bit bottled up i felt a bit bottled up on this episode too which is no fault of anybody's it's just a rough time we're all going through it and like i say if you are even taking the time to listen to us for an hour and a half every week we really really do appreciate it and i hope everyone's all right i hope everyone's fucking minding themselves and doing their very best because that's all you can really really do go easy on yourselves and uh yeah i'm looking forward to a time in the future when we can all bump into each other at fucking gigs or something i'm thinking summer 2021 that's what i'm thinking craig what are you thinking summer 2021 sounds great yeah it's a date dave it's a date my friend my name is dave hanrowdy this has been no encore there will be no encore and we'll be back next week good luck this podcast is part of the headstuff podcast network Summer vacation, here we come. Yep, I packed the craft beers I got at Total Wine. Did you remember a bathing suit? No, but I did pack a bunch of summer wines. Whites, rosés, Zinfandels. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.